Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Last year, I encourage you to go to the nations. There's great need. Father, we thank you for our opportunity this morning to open the truth of your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study, Lord, to think, to pray, to examine who you are. I pray, Lord, that as we study, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you would enlighten our hearts and we would be transformed more into the image of your Son. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. This is a light bulb. It's a pretty simple little invention. It's got a little bit of glass, a little bit of metal. It's got some gases inside, and obviously when you plug it in, it gives light. Now, light bulbs are a big part of our lives, aren't they? You find them all over in some shape, form, or size. You find them at home. You find them at work. You find them at church. You find them in your car. You find them in mobile devices on the streets throughout towns. And light for us is something we take for granted, isn't it? But the, the light bulb really revolutionized the world. Because gone are the days of torches. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it, if I was talking to people with a torch? Gone are the days of candles. Gone are the days of lamps with oil in them. The light bulb is a simple but very profound little invention. But there's something kind of interesting about this light bulb. It's designed for one reason. It gives light. And when this light bulb stops working, if you're like me, I go to the socket where it's located, I unscrew it, I take it immediately to the trash can, and I throw it away, right? Because if it's not producing light, then it's not fulfilling the purpose for which It was created. Now I want to change gears for just a second and I want to ask you a question. For what purpose were you created? What are you supposed to be doing? What's your usefulness in this life? And so to examine that question and to think through our calling and our purpose and our design, I want to turn again this morning to our study on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be thinking this morning about the Lord's calling upon our lives. Now this is week four in our sermon series that we've entitled Upside Down. And we've called it Upside Down because it's a study on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And what we begin to understand as we study through this text is that everything Christ teaches, everything that Christ commands, everything that Christ asks of us is different. It's opposite. It's in fact upside down from what the world teaches. And so for the last two weeks, we studied the Beatitudes, the blessings. Verses 3 through 12. And we began by understanding that our idea of a blessing and the Lord's idea of a blessing oftentimes are vastly different. Our idea of a blessing is external. 
When things go our way, when we come into some money, when our job is going well, when things happen the way we want them to happen, we say that we are blessed. But when things don't go our way, when we lose money or lose our job or our relationships are struggling, we don't usually refer to ourselves as blessed. But as we study through the Sermon on the Mount, we begin to see things like poor in spirit. We begin to see things like meek and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, peacemakers, merciful Pure in heart, persecuted for Christ. All these things that are opposite of what the world says. The world says you should live one way. Christ says you should live a different way. The world says you should do it this way. Christ has no said you should do it this way. And as we begin to work through this, and we're going to see this over and over in our study, the way that Christ teaches us and the way that Christ calls us to live is really upside down from what the world says. And so we're going to continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount this morning in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll focus this morning... On verses 13 through 20, I think we have the scripture for you on the screen. You can read along with us as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus is on the sermon. He's on the, the mount. He's began the sermon on the mount. He's already talked through the Beatitudes. He's teaching the disciples. And we come to verse 13, and here's what he says. You are, now just pause just for a second. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his followers. And we can say with certainty, because we're followers of Jesus Christ, even though we're 20 centuries later, roughly, Jesus, in this very moment, in verse 13, is speaking to you as well. And he's speaking to me. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, I want to stop there for just a few minutes, and I want to think through this call in our lives. I want to think through this charge. I want to think through this purpose. Christ is going to give us some very clear indication in this text of what he's called us to do, of who he's called us to be. And the first truth we see in this scripture this morning is, number one, if you're taking notes, you are or we are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. Now, before we delve into what Christ calls us to be, I think it's fair to examine what the world is because we begin to understand as we study through this text That if the world were a place of goodness, if the world were a place of spiritual light, then we wouldn't need to be salt in the world, would we? We wouldn't need to be light in the world. But because the world is filled with spiritual darkness, because the world is filled with death, because the world is filled with things that are against the teachings of Christ, Christ calls us to a very specific place in the world. His you are to be salt. Now, salt for us is very interesting, and it's important, I think, sometimes as we study through the Bible to try to not understand what it means to us now necessarily first, but instead to begin with this question, what did it mean to the original listeners? When Christ spoke to these disciples in the first century and he told them they, they were the salt of the earth, what did it mean to them? Well, if we understand salt several centuries ago, several hundred years ago, We understand that even though salt is easy to come by now, salt is very cheap, it's readily available in the first centuries and really through many of the centuries throughout history, salt was very difficult to find and it was in fact very expensive. So I did some research about salt this week and I found some interesting 
truths about salt I'd like to recount to you. Roads throughout the centuries and trade routes were built so that salt could be traded all over the world. They literally built trading routes so they could trade salt. Certain kinds of salt was harder and it was almost like a rock and it was used as currency. They would use these pieces of rock salt as coins. Over the centuries, wars have literally been fought over salt. In the middle century, salt was known as white gold. Maybe the most interesting, the Latin word for salt is salarium. It's the same word we get salary from. Because in the early centuries, in Roman times, they would often pay their soldiers in salt. And so we need to kind of take a step back. And salt to us seems commonplace and it seems cheap and it seems easy to come by. But for the first century listener, to the disciple of the first century, to the follower of Christ in the first century, salt was a very, very important commodity. And it literally impacted the world. Now there are all kinds of characteristics of salt we could think through. And I kind of started thinking through some this weekend. I think it's fair because Christ doesn't give us one specific meaning of salt. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? So, so let's think through for just a couple of minutes what are the characteristics of salt. One of the things we all understand about salt is that it brings flavor, doesn't it? Many of you enjoy food with salt, maybe french fries or potatoes or vegetables, and you can't hardly eat anything without either putting salt on it or cooking with salt in it. It adds flavor to whatever you cook. Salt also disinfects and cleans, right? If you've ever been to the beach and you've got a big cut on your toe that you forgot about, the moment you step into the salt water, what begins to happen? It stings, doesn't it? You can feel the sting of the salt water. Why? Because it's cleansing and it's cleaning that wound. That's what salt does. Salt's a preservative. It was used for many centuries to pack fish and to pack meat. And you could catch a fish, pack it in salt, and it could last for many, many weeks without corruption and without decay. So the Lord says, you're the salt of the earth. There are many different meanings and there are many different ideas that we can take from this. But here's kind of what I want you to get out of this. Jesus, let's remember, was speaking to a group of peasants. The people that followed Jesus were very needy. These weren't the elite of society. These weren't the wealthy. These weren't the powerful. These were people that needed food. These were people that needed clothing. These were people that on some level needed some sort of a miracle. And so it's very interesting as we begin to notice how Jesus speaks to them and how he describes these people. He says something very clear to them in this text. He doesn't say, I wish you would one day become the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, if you work really hard one day, you'll be the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, my goal for you is one day you'll attain this level. He says very, quick, quick, uh, very clearly to these peasants, to the lowly of society, to these poor people, that you are the salt of the earth, right? Now here's why that's very important for us in our context. Salt was critical for these people. Salt was very important throughout the world. Salt had a very primary purpose in their culture, in their society. And Jesus says to them, and he says to us in our society today, in our culture, it doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter your financial situation. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your material possessions. It doesn't matter your career, your place in society. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to impact the world. You see that? You are the salt. You can't claim not to have a role in Christ. You can't claim not to have a purpose in his kingdom. 
You can't claim no use. Lord, I'm just going to show up at church. I don't feel worthy to do this. That's not what the scripture teaches. Lord, I don't feel good enough to go in society and to share Christ. That's not what the scripture teaches. Lord, I just don't think I'm smart enough to say these things. That's not what the scripture teaches. Regardless of who you are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to impact the world. Period. You're the salt. Now, we've been talking a lot over these last few weeks about missional living. And I've encouraged you to think about living your life as a missionary in every aspect of what you do. You can get on an airplane and fly to Guatemala and be a missionary, or you can also be a missionary tomorrow morning at work. You can be a missionary tomorrow morning at school. You can be a missionary tomorrow afternoon when you're playing sports or dancing or whatever you do. And so we've been talking a lot about missional living, but I want to think through this just for a second. And I want to try to apply this a little bit to our lives. If Christ has called us to make an impact, if Christ has called us to be the salt, what does that look like in our lives? Well, I think there's several things we can take from this and try to understand. If Christ has called the believer to be salt, I think one of the things he's asked us to do is add flavor to the world, something different, something refreshing. You know like I do that the world is filled with darkness, isn't it? It's filled with people that will complain. You know the person, right? You know the person. It's filled with people that are going to whine. It's filled with people that are going to be lazy. It's filled with people that are going to cheat and steal and do things wrong. It's filled with those kinds of people, with negative people, with people that are living in desperation and darkness and sinfulness. You can be the flavor. You can be the hope and peace for those people. In the midst of a world that's filled with death, you can provide life. You can be the flavor that's so desperately needed in your area of whatever the world leads or wherever life leads you. You can be a cleansing agent. You can help heal. You know, we may not be able to heal physically, although the Lord may gift us with that ability to do, but we can certainly help people heal spiritually and emotionally, can't we? You know, you can be a healer in your place of work. Did you know that? You can be the ear that that person talks to. You can be the listening ear that shows love and compassion. Even in the midst of a desperate situation, you're the person that can speak truth in that person's life. You're the one who can love in the name of Jesus Christ. You're the one who can take that person that needs spiritual healing that's broken and desperate to the ultimate physician, Jesus Christ. And because you're a follower, because you're salt, you can heal. You can also preserve. You can hold back and restrain the sin of the world. Even in the little bubble in the world you live in, you can act godly. You can speak of the things of the Lord. You can speak with peace and with hope and with compassion and with love. And you can fight back the darkness, right? You can hold back through the power of the grace of the Lord all the sin that pervades the world. You can be a difference in the place that you live. Because we we have to take this scripture seriously. We can't just read through it and set it aside and not consider it and not use it in our lives. And the Lord has been very clear to us. We're called to be salt. We're called to make a difference. We're called to reach out to those among us and to love them in the name of Jesus Christ. But there's a warning that goes with this. Jesus says, you are the salt. Therefore, by implication, you should make a difference. You should add flavor. You should add compassion. You should add love. You should heal. You should cleanse. You should preserve. You should do all those things as salt. But he adds a warning. He says, when salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless, right? Now, I would be very careful to say to any person they're worthless because I don't think that's true in in Jesus' picture of life. 
I think the Lord can use anybody, but I think there's a very stern warning here as a follower of Christ. If we reach a point where we're not being the salt, if we reach a point where we're not reaching out to others, we're not loving others, we're not healing, if we're not preserving, if we're not cleansing, if we're not being this agent of salt in society and the world we live in, if we fail to do those things, at least by the teaching of Christ on the Sermon on the Mount, we're useless to him, aren't we? It's not good enough for you just to show up and say, I'm here Sunday morning, check that off the list. See, I think the Lord has called us to be the body of Christ in the building and especially outside. And if you think for one minute you're off the hook because you're not smart enough or haven't studied enough or don't have the background or haven't been a Christian long enough, you're not fulfilling the truth of the Word of God. You are called to be salt. Now, verse 14. You're called to more than just salt. Christ says in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Here's the second truth. Not only are we called to be salt in the world, but number two, we are called to be the light of the world. Now, salt has some very interesting properties, but one of the characteristics of salt is it's oftentimes hidden, isn't it? It's hard to see. You take a a big pile of mashed potatoes, right, and you eat it without anything in it, it's pretty bland. You add a little bit of butter, taste begins to get a little bit better. You add a little bit of salt, it gets even better. But as you put the salt in the mashed potatoes and you begin to stir them in, it kind of disappears, doesn't it? Now, I I get that you could dig through it and find it if you were very meticulous and maybe had a microscope or magnifying. You could see it if you wanted to, but it's kind of hard to see. It's kind of like that with us in society. There's one sense, if we're the salt, we should kind of be this invisible force that just loves in the name of Christ. We just share in the name of Christ. We just heal in the name of Christ. And we just kind of work through society. We're the salt that kind of gets stirred in and we preserve and we, and we heal and we help these people in their desperate need and their times of, of great sorrow. But yet Christ tells us in this second part of this scripture... Not only would it be salt, not only is there this sense that we're invisible, but now we're going to move beyond the hidden to the visible. Not only are you this constant influence of salt, but now you're also called to be light. It's a powerful, visible agent for all the world to see. Now, Jesus himself says that he's the salt of the world. In fact, if you were to read through John 1, you'd see in verse 4 that Jesus says, speaking of Jesus, I'm sorry, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus came as the light of the world into the darkness. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There are several examples in Scripture where Christ refers to himself as the light. But in Matthew chapter 5, he's going to do something different. He's going to move beyond this idea of himself being the light. He's going to call us... To be the light. So he says to us in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. There's this sense that Christ has brought the light into the darkness. As a follower of Christ, we now take that light, and as we go into the world, we share that light with others. But he takes it a step farther. It's not simply that we're a light, but in verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Christ says you're called to be a light. Not only are you called to be a light, but you need to be a light that shines so that all the world could see. I had the opportunity several years ago to to go to Athens, Greece. If you've ever been to Athens, Greece, you understand that one of the things that dominates Athens, Greece is the Acropolis. It's kind of the city that's lifted up. In fact, I have a picture. I wanted you to see it, and if you've never seen it, that's the Acropolis right there. The Acropolis is where the ancient Greeks would go, and they would worship, and there were temples built up there. And it was a very important part of the city. In fact, Paul speaks of the Acropolis in Acts 17. And you, you can't see it from that picture, but the, the Aragopagus, which is a, a, another hill that's kind of the left, is kind of this outcrop of rocks that's very near to the Acropolis. And Paul goes up on top of that mountain in Acts chapter 17, and he says this. I just want to listen to his words. Paul stood in the midst of the Aragopagus, and he said, and this is a group of men and philosophers who'd be up there, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. And I can just envision him standing on that hill, and as you turn around and look, the Acropolis is right behind you. Men of Athens, I can, I can tell you're very religious in all areas. And he goes on to talk about the unknown God. But this is an important part of the city because it's elevated. And so if you notice behind it, it's very flat. And so from all areas of the city, you can see the Acropolis. You can go and take it down now. Thank you. So the Acropolis is an important part of Athens, Greece. It's been an important part of Athens, Greece for thousands of years. But here's the interesting thing about that area of the city. Because it's a city built up upon a hill, they don't try to hide it. They don't put cloths and curtains so nobody can see it. Instead, they celebrate it. And so you can take tours of the Acropolis. You can walk all the way to the top. You can spend all day on it. You can drive or walk all the way around it. You can go at night and they've got these incredibly huge spotlights that just illuminate every part of it. And there are lights from within the temple that shine. And so you can see it from all over the city. Why? It's important. It's the city up on a hill. It's visible. People see it. People recognize it. Christ says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a light. You're like a city on a hill that everybody can see. It doesn't make any sense for you to have this light that I've given you and to try to hide it. It doesn't make any sense for you to say, Christ has given me this light, he's given me this gift, and yet I'm going to hide it and not let anybody else see it. Now let's think through this just for a second as we continue this thought process. I think it's fair for us to say based on this teaching, based on this teaching in Matthew chapter 5, that one of the purposes we have in life, and we wouldn't say this is the only one, but one of the purposes we have is to be the light of Christ. It's to shine the light into the darkness, right? So let's think through this just for a minute. If we think about our purpose in life as to shine the light into the darkness, then we can say with sincerity and sincerity that our calling is not necessarily our career, is it? Now follow me. I'm going to get somewhere with this. Don't, don't get mad at me yet. Your calling is not your career in life. Your calling is not your education in life. Your calling is not the pleasures of life. Your calling is not sports. Your calling is not some hobby. Now, all those things are important. But when we begin to understand our primary calling is to shine the light of Christ into the world, we begin to see all those other things as tools we can use to shine the light of Christ in the world, right? Your career isn't your primary calling, but it's a blessing the Lord has given you to have an opportunity to shine the light of Christ in other people's lives. Your hobby isn't your calling, but it's a tool the Lord has given you so you can shine his light into other people's lives. Sports is not your calling, but it's an opportunity 
to shine the light of Christ into other people's lives. Parents, I'll just encourage you just for a second since I'm on that topic. Sports are great things. I, I love sports. I grew up playing sports. I follow sports. There's absolutely nothing wrong with sports. But I think sometimes we miss the opportunity of sports because we begin to see sports as the calling of life. It's the end-all, be-all. Instead, what if we saw it in this light? What if we understood that our calling instead is to share the light of Christ into the darkness and so we see sports as an opportunity to do that? So, son, when you go up to bat and you strike out, instead of throwing the bat and saying mean words all the way back to the dugout, why don't you live for Christ on that short walk back? Why don't you let some kid that doesn't know Christ see you and see how you're different? Son, when you miss the free throw in the big game and you lose the game, instead of being mad, why don't you have a a joy that people just can't quite understand? Fan of college football and, oh, I'm speaking to myself right here, Lord, forgive me. When your team tips the ball to the other team to win... Help us to be Christ-like, Lord. I'm getting way close to home now. I better move on. See, we begin to see opportunities in life to be Christ-like, don't we? Those aren't the reason we exist. We do those things, and they're fine, and they're enjoyable, and we can take pleasure in those things, but those are tools. They give us an opportunity to live like Christ. They work when your boss is rude to you. Instead of firing back, be Christ-like. Let the coworker who doesn't see Jesus understand how he ought to be living. When we begin to see our purpose in life is to be salt and to be life and to live life upside down, it really changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we think. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it like this. The true Christian cannot be hid. He cannot escape notice. A man truly living and functioning as a Christian will stand out. He will be like salt. He will be like a city set upon a hill, a candle upon a candlestick. The true Christian does not even desire to hide his light. He sees how ridiculous it is to claim to be a Christian and yet deliberately to try and hide the fact. See, we we understand life as being missional, right? As living for Christ, as looking for opportunities to share his light, to be salt, to be love, to be compassion. And when things don't go our way, When the external circumstances don't work the way we want them to, it's still an opportunity for us to be joyful. I say this to my kids often, and I probably need to say it to myself more often. When things don't go their way, that's a great opportunity to live for Christ. That didn't go the way you wanted to do. Somebody was rude to you. Somebody said something they shouldn't have said to you. Great. Be like Christ right now. He's given you a chance to grow in your faith. It's a blessing. It's a gift. We need to begin to see those opportunities in life to grow, to reach, to share, to love. But there's something very interesting about light in the first century. Whether you had a candle or a torch or some sort of an oil lamp, all of those things would eventually run out, wouldn't they? And so what we begin to see as we study light in the early centuries is that they had to constantly renew their power source. The oil would eventually have to be replaced. The candle would have to be replaced. The torch would have to be replaced. Because as light burns, it consumes, and eventually it burns out. We're kind of like that. We give and we give and we give, and eventually we burn out. We need to be refilled, don't we? We need to be refilled. That's the important part about what we do on Sunday mornings. You should come ready to be refilled. That's the importance of Bible study with small groups. That's the importance of prayer. That's the importance of fasting. 
That's the importance of selling out every single week to spend time in the Word of God, to spend time studying the Word of God, to spend time memorizing and learning the Word of God. One of the things we've done for parents is we've provided you every week with this little devotional guide for your families, and you can pick one up at the door. We have them every week. They're different. Take them home. Spend time reading through them. One night a week, read through this with your kids. We're challenging you to, to memorize the Beatitudes, to think about how Christ would call us to live how Christ would call us to be different, but we begin to understand that we need to be renewed, we need to be refilled. I kind of see church as like a refilling station. You should come on Sunday morning and get filled up with his love and his grace, and you study and understand more about yourself and begin to be molded and shaped, transformed more into his image, and then after you're filled, you go into the world and then you pour out all week, right? And as you pour out all week, you empty yourself, you burn that light out all the way down to the, to the wick is done. And you come back in next Sunday morning, you get refilled. And you give and you give and you give and then you get refilled again. You give and you give and you give and you get refilled. But so many believers come and they get filled and they just kind of keep it to themselves. I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough Bible verses, Lord. You can't use me. That's not what the scripture teaches. You are the salt. You are the light. You simply by being a follower of Jesus Christ, can impact the world. Now next, as we finish up this morning, verse 17. Christ says in verse 17 in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices the teachings, these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's the third point I want to make this morning. Not only are we called to be salt, not only are we called to be light, but number three, God is truly concerned with our hearts. God is concerned with our hearts. Now, Christ had a problem during his ministry, the Pharisees. These were the religious teachers, these were the religious leaders, and so they would come and they would get into these great arguments with Christ about why he did certain things, why his disciples did certain things, and they would challenge him on the law. And so as he argued with these Pharisees, some people assumed that he was going to do away with the law, so he's very clear in this teaching. I haven't come to abolish the law or to do away with the law. Instead, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. In other words, I'm going to take the Old Testament law, I'm going to show you how it ought to be lived out. I'm going to take the Old Testament prophecies and I'm going to show you that they're all fulfilled in me. But see, Jesus would look at the Pharisees and he talks about them in verse 20 and he would see that the Pharisees had this real problem. They acted one way on the outside, but on the inside they were corrupt. They had this air of superiority, this air of intelligence, this air that they did all the religious things they were supposed to do and made all the right decisions and followed every letter of the law and yet Christ could see into their hearts and he knew that they were sinful. And so he said to them, Matthew 23 verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Listen to how he describes them. You are whitewashed tombs. In other words, you're really pretty on the outside. 
which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean in the same way. On the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Christ says it's really about your heart more than your actions because you can fake your actions. Now let me just, let me just go ahead and say it. <laughs> you show up on church to church on Sunday morning, sit in the pew, and pretend to be the good Christian. You can do that. You can even go to Sunday school and sit and listen and maybe occasionally pray or even maybe occasionally read your Bible. But on the inside, you could not be doing the things the Lord called you to do. You could be a hypocrite. And I think there's a great warning for us in this text. We need to be very careful as we understand who the Pharisees were and how the Lord taught against them. Your actions are important, but more important than your actions is your heart. The Lord says you need to have it right on the inside before you worry about having it right on the outside. But so many believers, so many followers of Christ in our world today have gotten awfully good at faking it, haven't they? We all do it on some level. We know how to say the right things. We know how to act the right way. We know how to make the right comments in Sunday school. And so everybody believes that we're living our life the way we should. And yet we know, if truth be told, that on the inside that we're not living for Christ. We have no desire to follow him. We're faking it. Christ warns us here, be careful how you live. Be careful about the righteousness of your heart. Because your heart is more important than your actions. John Stott said it like this. The Pharisees were content with an external and formal obedience, a rigid conformity to the letter of the law. Jesus teaches us that God demands are far more than radical, far more radical than this. The righteousness which is pleasing to him is an inward righteousness of the mind and motive, for the Lord looks on the heart. See, it's more than just acting like a believer. It's having a heart of righteousness. Now some of you are probably hearing this sermon and you're thinking salt and lie and I've got to go into the world and you're probably thinking things like this. I need to change my actions. I need to get things right in my life. I need to start living differently. I need to start living life upside down the way Christ teaches. And you are right. You should do those things. But we need to be very careful. Before your actions can change, your heart has to change. Not good enough just to fake it. People around you may be pleased with you, but I can assure you of this, Christ isn't. I had the opportunity last week to, to hear from a guy who had just finished hiking the Appalachian Trail. Hiked the whole thing. Over 2,100 miles. It took him 167 days. And about two-thirds along the way, he had a major knee injury. And so he hobbled off the trail and hobbled to a hospital, basically. Had a guy examine it. The Lord kind of worked some miracles. And that day he got to see a specialist and they did this MRI on his knee. And they told the guy, your hike is done with. You're, you're finished. Now this guy's 100 plus days into the hike, 1,500 plus miles in the hike. The, the site is at end and the doctor says to him, you're done. You're finished. And the guy says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm, I'm not finished. And the doctor said, no, you don't understand. You are finished. You've got major issues with your knee and your ligaments. and You're going to have to have surgery. And the guy says, listen, I've been thinking about this. I've been praying about this for weeks and weeks and months and months and preparing this for the last several years. There is no way I'm going to stop this hike. Can you give me some kind of a shot to deaden my knee? That's what he asked the doctor. 
And the doctor argued with him back and forth. And finally, the doctor said, well, you know what? I, I can't believe you're going to actually do this because you're going to hurt yourself even worse. But I'll give you a shot if you want to to finish the trail. So the guy gives him this shot. And this guy with major knee damage finished the trail. Now, here's the point. When you set your heart to do something and you're motivated to do it, guess what? Your actions are going to follow, aren't they? When you set your heart to do the things of the Lord, you can't help but doing the things of the Lord. When you fake it, one of these days you're going to get tired of doing it and you're going to stop. But if you allow the Lord to change your heart, if you are righteous from the inside out, if you have a desire to follow him in all things, and you can't help but living missionally. You can't help but noticing need around you. You can't help but ministering in the name of Christ. You can't help but sharing your faith. You can't help but being a believer at work. You can't help but being salt. You can't help but being light. That's just who you are. Christ says you need to change your hearts. You need a deeper righteousness. You need a deeper walk. So God has called us to be salt. To be flavor, to be a healer, to preserve. He's called us to be light, to shine the truth of Christ into the darkness, to stand out, to live opposite from what the world teaches. In a word, very simply, Christ has called us to live upside down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again. It's just clear and compelling and it's truthful. And Father, we just ask you to continue to do a mighty work in our hearts. Father, continue to speak to us, continue to guide us, continue to direct us. Father, help us to live missionally. Help us to live upside down. Father, help us to be salt. Help us to be light. Help us to have a heart of righteousness. Father, help us to do all the things you've called us to do. Give us the boldness and the courage and the strength to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. For your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. For the last several months, we've had a time of prayer kind of in the middle of the service. And, and talking to the staff and really praying through this last few weeks, we've decided to move that time of prayer to the invitation. So we're going to give you the opportunity to do several things right now. One of the things you can do is come and pray. And I want to encourage you to do something. We just had our family ministry conference this past weekend, had some incredible teaching. I was very convicted. I, I tell you this, when I go to this conference every year, I walk away and I say, you know, I didn't necessarily learn anything new, but I was challenged to be the man of God I should have been the whole time in my life. This is who I should be, and I need to make some changes. So, men, I'm going to encourage you right now. I'm going to encourage you to step out from where you are, spend some time either where you are with your family or with your wife or if you're alone, whatever you want to do. I want to challenge you to come down to the front and spend some time in prayer about who you ought to be. You're called to be the leader of your home. You're called to be salt and light, and the first place that ought to happen is right there with your wife. First place all that happens right there with your kids. So we're going to give you a chance to come and pray at the altar if you want to do that. We're going to give you a chance during this invitation to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're going to give you the opportunity to join this church. We're going to let you right now respond to how the Lord is speaking to you in whatever fashion that looks like. So you come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.